was like, I blame Matt for that. So, <laughs> so I'm going to just leave that. So, um, hey, it is it is great to be here. Um, Matt, both of the country. Um, I don't know. He's he's probably home right now, but um, he's not here. So you're stuck with me um, today. And um, I've I've been out trying to exercise. I, you can obviously tell. Um, but I've been out trying to jog and walk and stuff like that. And man, allergies are just hitting me. So bear with me as I cough and gag through this um, today. But I'm so excited for just what God's doing um, through our church and, and through our community and just excited about what he's going to be sharing with us. As we, we um, d- dive into this, understand that we have to have our notes in um, on Tuesday for like the, the, what you see, what you see in front of you. And God speaks to me on Friday. And so what you're seeing is, is what God told me on Tuesday and what, what you're going to hear is what God told me on Friday. So it'll, it'll kind of work together, but there, there are a lot of times I'm sitting there going, man, I changed the title three times since I turned it in and just like that. So again, if you have ADD, you're going to love this one. This is going to be great. So uh, how many here have ever given a gift to anyone and then regretted it? All right. I think some of us have been there. I, I had that. I made the mistake of my grandmother. I don't know if you guys remember. It's actually coming back. The clapper. You remember that? that? It's making a comeback. I saw that and I was like, oh, great. But you can just clap and the lights will go on and you clap and the lights go off. And I was like, what a great gift. I'm watching this commercial. The lady in the commercial reminded, reminded me of my grandmother, you know, because she'd be sleeping and all of a sudden she'd just wake up and see the lights are on. She claps and the lights go off and goes back to sleep. And I was like, oh, my grandmother would love that. And so I went to visit her, and I brought that for Christmas, and I gave it to her. We set it up, and, she, you know, I was all excited. Well, my, my grandmother had a cold that night. And so I'm in, I'm in the room across the hall, and the, and the, the, the doors are open. And I, I look across, and all of a sudden I just I see the lights in my grandmother's room going off and on all night. And I was like, what is she doing? It's kind of getting irritating because the light's coming in, shining in, in my room. And I was like, I don't know what she's doing. Well, the whole time, she was coughing. And every time she coughed, the lights would come on. And then she'd get irritated. And she's like, ugh. And she'd go back to sleep and <laughs> cough. And the light. And so this went on till finally I, just, I heard her just going, this hard. She was saying stuff that grandmother shouldn't say. And um, I had to come in and, and unplug it. But it was one of those things where I was like, I thought this was a great idea. And, but she, it obviously wasn't that great because the lights were on and off. And what I want us to think about t- today is the idea that there are times in our life when God's going to give us light. And there are times when he might turn that light down if, if we're not obeying what, what he's given us. So when I talk about getting light, what I'm talking about is the truth that, that comes from God's word. The truth that comes from the Bible. When we take that, that's God shining his light and given us light, and he, he, he wants us to obey what he's given us. So when we listen and obey God, that light, that is what God gives us. And when we do that, the dimmer switch, I mean, Chuck, um, Larry Osborne, Larry Osborne um, talked about a dimmer switch, and, and just the idea that spiritually that can happen in our lives, where we can have a dimmer switch in our life, and when we listen to God and we obey what he's telling us, he turns that dimmer switch up, and we get more light, and we, he- we hear more from God. But there are a lot of times when we're in a dark time. And Matt talked about last week, and we've talked about this before. There are times we go through dark times 
and it's not because of anything we've done. We look at, in Scripture, we see that. We have Job, and we have others that went through some hard times because God had a, a reason for that. There are times we go through some hard times, and it's not because of something that we've done wrong. But if we're honest, there are a lot of times we go through dark times, and it's because we've messed up. We want to try to blame it on something else, but we know it was decisions that we made that caused us to be in that situation. <clears throat> so when we're in those dark times, <clears throat> and we, we, we want to look at it and say, what is it the Bible tells us about that? John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The first thing I want us to think about is the fact that God reveals his truth to us. If we truly want to know what God wants from our lives, he reveals that to us. He shines that light in our lives. And we have to determine what we're going to do with that. The picture I have a lot of times is, is that we're, we're in our room and the door's shut and the light is shining. <clears throat> that light is shining whether we open that door or we don't. But when we open that door, we recognize that light. We see that light. But we can choose to shut that door. It doesn't change the fact that that light is still shining on that door. But it means that we're not enjoying that light. That we're in the darkness. So when we choose to ignore and disobey that light, our life may get dimmer spiritually. It may get to where all of a sudden you're starting to feel like, man, I feel like I'm in the dark. And I don't know what's going on. And that happens a lot of times because of the fact that we're living our lives in a way that, that goes against what God wants. The things that God has revealed, the truth that he's revealed, we've chosen to disobey that. But when we decide that we're going to obey what he's given us, all of a sudden the lights get brighter. And we, we're able to go through and we're able to do the things that God wants us to do. And he reveals more of that to us. So well, I want us to think about um, Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I love that because you think about it. If you're in the dark, if you're out in the woods, there are going to be things that you're going to trip on. Rocks and sticks and stuff like that. And the Bible says that, that God's word is a lamp to our feet. So it shines the path so that we can walk and not stumble. Because we know if we're truly trying to follow what God wants, things are going to be thrown in our way. Satan's going to sit there and go, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to follow what God wants. And he's going to try to trip us. God's word is a lamp to our feet, so we can avoid that. And then it goes on and says, it's also a light to our path. He lights the path so we know where to go. We, we know we've we got the lamp to kind of help us from stumbling, but we also have a direction that we're supposed to go. And God's word lights that path for us. <clears throat> you see, Israel had that light. As we're, we're looking through Isaiah, Israel had the light and they knew the truth. Yet they continued to turn from God. Even all these times when God showed who he was and he showed his power to Israel, they continued to turn their back and to worship other gods. They literally would sit there and build like things out of gold or, or rock or sticks and, and, and worship that and, and try to sit there and think that that was going to be better 
than the God that they were following. So in, in Isaiah chapter 54, if you've got your Bibles, um, we're going to be in, in Isaiah 54, 1 through 10. And that's where we're going to kind of start here. And it should be on page 601 in the, in the Bible in front of you if, if you don't have a Bible with you. And um, we're going to read that together because as we're reading this, it can get kind of confusing if you don't know the context and the, the story that's going on behind this. Israel has been obeying, disobeying God. They've had the light from God, and they've chosen to disobey that. So because of that, God finally says, you know what? You've done this enough. And, it, and he, he, it says that he literally turns away from them for a while. For a short time, he turns away from them, and he allows Babylon to come in and to capture them. So when this is written, Israel is now cap- captive in, in Babylon. And, and we're going to pick that up now in Isaiah 54, 1 through 10. Sing, barren woman, you who bore no children. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who never, were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. To me this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So here God is speaking to Israel. They're in captivity. And he comes up and he says, get ready. And he, and he uses two different women to, to describe Israel at that time. He uses the barren woman, the woman who couldn't have children. And in that culture at that time, if, if you weren't able to have children, you were looked down on and you were like, almost like a disgrace in that culture. Kind of like where Israel was at because here they are, they're captured. They're, they go around saying that they're, they're the followers of God. They're God's chosen ones. And now they're captured because God has turned his back on them. And so now they're disgraced, like this barren woman, this woman who couldn't have children. And God comes up and says, get ready. And he talks about the fact, he says, <clears throat> um, enlarge your tents. Because you're going you're gonna to outnumber what you could ever possibly imagine. And we look at that and we say, not just the Jews, because at this time he's talking to Israel, the Jewish people. But now he's saying that your tents are going to expand to where the followers of God are, are going to be more numerous than you can possibly count, more than the stars in the sky or the sand, you know, on the, on the sea. And 
we look at that, and not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. If you look at the Bible, you hear Gentile. A Gentile was a non-Jew. Most of us here. If we're not Jewish, we're a Gentile. And God said, it's not going to be just the Jews now that are going to be um, blessed by me. It's also going to be any, anyone non-Jewish who, who comes and follows after me. And if you look around our world today, all the nations, how, how followers of God, and Christians are just, they're numerous, they're all over the world. And that comes right back to Isaiah 54, where God says, that's, that's going to happen. When we look at it and we, and we say, boy, there are Christians everywhere, all over the world, not just in the U.S. And it comes back to where God, God promised that in Isaiah 54. So we have the barren woman, but then we also says we have the woman who was rejected by her husband, it says, that her husband left her. And that's another picture that God's using of Israel, of the fact that God was Israel's husband. But because Israel kept turning to other men, in a sense, if you, if you use that analogy, that here is, uh, we're, the church, people of Israel are supposed to be God's spouse. And they say, you know what, I don't want you, I'm going to go to other people. I'm going to go to other gods. So God said, if you do that, go ahead, I'm going to allow you to do that for a time. And that at, at that time, here's this woman who's shamed because she no longer has a husband. And God says, that's going to change. And he goes on and he promises, just like he said, just like in Noah's time, when I promised never to bring a flood like that again, he goes, I'll never reject you again. That he gave that promise to Israel. He gives that promise to us as well. And then verse 10, I love verse 10, where it, it talks about the fact that the mountains and the hills be removed. Even if they're removed, God's love for us will never be shaken. Even if the mountains and the hills were wiped out. I went, we went to Mexico last year, Monterey, Mexico, and we, the place that we were staying at had a gorgeous view of the mountains. It was just incredible. You look at this and you just, I just love looking at those and just how huge they are and just how majestic they are. And the Bible says, you know what, even if those mountains were wiped out, my love for you will never be shaken. And that's the picture that he wants us to understand from Isaiah 54, is that there was a time when you were rejected, when you were tur- my, I turned my back on you because you saw the light, you knew the light, and you rejected that. You decided to go your own way. And, and so he comes back and he says, now I'm, I'm ready to restore that. See, we, a lot of times, like Israel, can go through that same struggle. We can go through that same struggle of going through some dark times. And we can sit there and question God and say, God, are you really there? Why would you allow this to happen? And I'm not talking about those times when we are totally innocent. We know there are those times. I'm talking about those times when we know deep in our heart that there's something not right with us and God. And then we go through those dark times, and instead of saying, I need to fix what's, what's wrong with me, what's going on in my life, I need to blame God. We're going to sit there, and we're going to blame God and say, God, I don't believe that you're really there. Romans 1, verses um, 18 to 25. I want us to listen to this because there are a lot of people that sit there and go, I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe that God exists. The Bible says there's going to come a day when we're going to stand before God and we're not going to have an excuse. Even though we can say, I don't believe that, that God exists, 
when we stand before God, we're going to be without excuse. Romans 1, starting with verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I want to stop there for a second. This was written back in Jesus' time, in that time frame. Understand that as you read this, think about where we're at in our culture today. And just how fitting this is for where we're at today. Since what may may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human, human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and, and served created things, rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Romans is talking about the fact that we all have that light that God is shining. He's saying, you know, deep down, it may be layers where deep down, deep in the core of your heart, the Bible says, you know that all this that we have, the fact that these planets are the perfect distance away, the sun, the moon, all that, the stars, everything that's created. Deep down in our hearts, the Bible says, we know that somebody made that. That didn't just happen. And we can go to the next level and say, okay, maybe way down deep, I, I know that, but I'm going to suppress that, and I'm going to sit there and go, I don't believe there's, there's a God. Because I don't want to have to answer to anyone. I want to be able to do what I want to do and not feel guilty about it. Whatever the reason is, we can have that. But the Bible says that we're going to be without excuse when that day comes. Because God has said, I've shined that light. I've made it obvious that I'm here. And as we, as we think about that and we, we reject that light, then all of a sudden things start to get bad in our life. The light starts getting dimmer. Because we're not taking the light that God's given us. And then we start to go through life and we start to sit there and go, why am I in this, this time in my life? Why is it that God's not there? God, where, where have you gone? And, and so the next thing we want to look at is, the question to ask is, do you know God or do you know about God? Understand there's a difference. Do you know God or do you know about God? A lot of us here know about God. We know things about God. But the question is, do we know God? Do we have a relationship with him? Do we understand who he is? As in Israel's time, God would say, I'm Israel's husband. If we think about it that way, we look and say, if I'm married to someone, I probably know them pretty well. I know what irritates them. I know what they like and and just everything about that. We have that relationship. When you know somebody, whether it's a spouse or a good friend, you know them in a way that you, you get to know them, you have a conversation with them. And that's what God's saying is, do you know me the way that you know 
people around you? Or do you just know about me? Man, I'm a diehard sports fan. All right, and I'll just put it out there. One of my sins is I'm a Patriots fan. I'll just, let's just get it over with, all right? Yes, I know. I'm not, I'm not going to heaven. I'm, I'm over it. Okay, so I'm a Patriots fan. Do I know Tom Brady? No, I know about Tom Brady, but I don't know. If I went up on the street and Tom Brady was there, I'm like, Tom, it's Nelson. How are you doing? I'd be arrested, um, you know, for stalking and stuff like that. But the idea that I know about him, I see him on TV, but I don't know him. In the same way with God, a lot of us can sit there and go, oh, I've read the Bible at times. I've, I've read about him. We don't really know God. We don't have that relationship with him. We just know about him. So that's the question we're going to ask is, do we truly know him? And then we're going to look at how do we know that if we do that or not. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So if we're going to sit there and say, I know God, the Bible says that means we're obeying what we know. When that light comes in and God gives us that light of saying, here's the truth I want you to live with and and to live by, are we obeying that? Because that's how we, we know that we know God. When we obey what God has revealed to us. I've been married to Susie for 75 years. And um, that's what she feels like at times. But we've been married a long time. And no one else can relate to this, but I'm going to share it anyway. I'll be sitting in my chair, and Susie will be talking in the kitchen. And it's something that's probably pretty important. And she'll get done. And then I'll ask a question. And it's exactly what she just told me. And she's like, you weren't listening at all, were you? And I'm like, no, I heard, I heard stuff going on. And I heard, I heard your voice. And a lot of times, if we're honest, that's the way we are with our spouses. That's what we are with those around us. And with our kids especially. And that's on purpose. You know, we just say, you know. But I hear voices. You know, they're not, it's not a scream of pain, so I think we're fine. But the idea that we, we can hear the voices but we're not truly listening to what's being said. And that's what happens with God a lot of times is we can hear his voice. And how do we do that? It's right here. You take that time to open this up, and this is where the light starts to shine in our lives. When we open this up and we say, God, is, what is it you want to teach me? So Luke eight sixteen to 18 This is what it teaches. It says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Whoever has will be given more. That light will become brighter. But whoever does not have, whoever is refusing to obey and listen to what they know is true, what they even have, what they think they have, will be taken from them.
we've got to understand that God is calling us to obedience. He's not calling us just to kind of go through and, and come to God when we feel like it. Israelites struggled. The Israelites struggled with this. That's why they were at where they're at in, in, some, in Isaiah 54. That's why God had to write to them and say, I'm going to restore our relationship. Because of Israel's sin, that, that relationship was, was broken. And God said, I'm going to bring that back. See, we need to obey what we know. We need to obey what we know. When God shines that light into our lives, we need to obey that. And a lot of us, a lot of times, we get excited about knowledge. We sit there and we say, boy, I want to learn more. I want to I dive in. I want to learn more. But here's something I want to challenge us with. Sometimes we may need to stop trying to know more and start obeying what we already know. Instead of sitting there saying, I want more knowledge, I want to know more, maybe we need to stop and say, I know enough that I'm not obeying. Maybe I should start there and then start to to try to figure out more about who God is. Because God is calling us to obey what we know. And I think a lot of times what happens is we can start to become Pharisees. And we can sit there and, and be proud of the fact of, look how much I know. And show that off to people. But God's looking at us, and he's looking at our heart, and he's saying, man, you know a lot, but you're not obeying any of it. So maybe we need to kind of stop trying to fill ourselves with knowledge and, and start to fill our hearts with obedience. <clears throat> Take the light we have and obey that. <clears throat> like the moon reflects the sun's light, we should reflect Christ. John eight twelve says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus says he's the light of the world. And I looked this up, and because I'm a science major in my previous life, not this one, when it comes to science, stuff like that, I don't really understand a lot of it. But I looked this up as far as the moon, because I've heard things about the moon as far as where the light comes from and stuff. And I said, let me just... Go to the source. Let me go to the gospel. So I went to Wikipedia, and I said, what is? No, I didn't really go to Wikipedia. So I, um, but I, I looked this up, and it says, listen to this, and, and think about how cool this is when it comes to our relationship with God. The moon can only be seen as a result of the sun's light reflecting off of it. Let me say it again. The moon can only be seen as a result of the sun's light reflecting off of it. It does not produce any light of its own. So all the light that we see from the moon comes because the sun is pouring into it and that light is reflecting off. We don't produce the light. God reflects, we reflect God's light living in us when we truly obey what he's called us to. When Israel turned back and they said, I have We've messed up. We have really messed this up. God said, I'm going to bring that light back. And I'm going to restore that. Just as the moon that we see, when you see that moon tonight or whenever we see that, understand that that moon is reflecting all that light that the sun had poured into it. And we should be in our lives living that same way, reflecting who Christ is in our lives. When we obey what we know, we're reflecting 
God's love and God's light. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The key to that is that last phrase because sometimes what happens is that we do this because we want people to see our good deeds. We want people to see how good we are. But it goes on and says, and they may glorify your Father in heaven. That's the reason we obey. That's the reason we live a life that's honoring to God. Is that he will get the glory. And he'll get the honor. Not us. People come up and start praising us because how good we are. We're going to deal with pride. And we're going to be right back where we started. We give that glory to God. And we say, God... I'm doing this. I'm shining this light because it's your light. And I want other people to see that. And this can be as simple as Matthew 22, 37 to 39 says. It says, love some, a religious leader came up and, and said, I want to know, God, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Of all these commandments in the Old Testament, understand there's more than just 10. At least 613 commandments. In the Old Testament, and this religious leader comes up and says, Jesus, of all these commandments, what's the most important? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. A little side note on that that's pretty cool is that he just summarized the Ten Commandments. You understand that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The first four commandments. That's what it's talking about. It's all about our relationship with God. And then it, then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Five through ten on the commandments. Honor your mother and father. You know, and, and going through, do not murder. Do not, do not lie. Do not steal. Don't cheat. That, all those are the second half. And so when he says, love, your, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, he's summarizing the ten commandments and he's saying, you want the greatest commandment? Here it is. So we can look at this and say, okay, God wants me to love him, and he wants me to love others. We can start there. We need to forgive. Obey our parents. Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. Be faithful to our spouse. We look at the Ten Commandments. We can sit there and say, we know what the truth is. The light has been, been shined. We have to decide what are we going to do with that. Are we, we going to obey that? And it goes on in the fruits of the Spirit. If you want to sit there and say, okay, what is it that God really wants my life to look like? Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at the fruits of the Spirit. It says, be patient, be kind, be self-controlled. Anyone here think that they could use a, a few more patients? Besides the doctors in here. I mean, you think about it. We, we've got... A lot of times that we sit there and we say, you know, I don't know what God wants from me. We know it's there. It's just sometimes it's, it's a little too hard for us. And we're not comfortable with that. So for us to come back to God, the first thing we have to realize is that there's something in our life that's more important than God. 
The Israelites had these idols that they put up. And they would worship these statues that they built. Which seems kind of ridiculous that they're going to sit there and build something. And then what they built, they're going to worship. For whatever reason. But a lot of times, we do the same thing. We don't maybe put a statue of Baal in, you know, in, in front of our house and, and go out and bow down to it every day. But we put a statue of presidents and bow down to them every day. The presidents that are on our dollar bills. You think about that. I mean, we sit there and that's, that's a lot of times our idol. We're trying to figure out how, I can, how can I make more? How can I make more? And our idol is, I'm more focused on that than I am what God wants. Or maybe I'm more focused on sports or school or whatever it is. And that becomes our idol. There's a lot of things in our lives that, that can take the place of God. So we gotta, we got to sit there and say, if I'm going to come back to God, I've got to look and say, what is it that right now is taking the place of God? What is that idol in my life that God's saying, I'm shining that light so you can see what's really important in your life? And when, it, when, we, when God seems far from us, when God seems far from us, that's when we need to check our heart. We need to check our heart when God seems distant or when it seems dark. Because almost always, the reason we're in that dark time is because our heart is dark. Because we've allowed it to get dark. We've allowed that light to be dis- diminished because we're not obeying what it is that God has called us to obey. We're not obeying the light that he's given us. And when we start to do that and we start to obey that light, he gives us more. And we start to see the blessings that come out of that. Because we're willing to obey what we know. There's a story of a young man that needed a heart transplant. And, man, his parents loved him. And they were watching as he was suffering. And all of a sudden, this, um, this, this young man um, ends up let me change that. The young man who needed the heart transplant, his, yeah, his parents really, they, they just, they loved him and, and they were watching him as he was dying. One day, all of a sudden, this, this person dies. And the, the parents loved this son who had died. And they, and they, they just, they cherished this son. And so this son when he died, ended up donating his heart. His heart went to this other young man who was struggling. This other young man, the reason he was struggling was because he had made some dumb choices in his life to the point where it ruined his heart so that he needed a new heart. It wasn't like congenitive. It wasn't, you know, anything. It was, it was choices that he made that ruined his heart to where he needed a new heart. So this other young man dies and donates his heart. And the parents of the, the donated, of the, of the one that donated his heart, were kind of watching. They knew who was going to get the heart, and they were just kind of watching because that, that person has our son's heart. Well, it didn't take long, a couple weeks, a month, to where this young, this young man who got the donated heart went right back to the same lifestyle. Started doing the same things he did before with a new heart. 
and it just crushed the parents of this young man who had died and given his heart. Because they saw, they knew what they had given up. They'd given up. They'd lost their son. But they rejoiced in the fact that now someone else can have that heart and do something with it. But this young man decided to go out and just kind of waste that and do whatever he wanted with it. In the same way, that's what happened with us. Our hearts are destroyed because of sin. And God came down and he sent his son. And his son died on the cross and he gave us his heart. Many of us can sit there and say, I, I know that I've accepted that. I know that my heart is messed up because of sin. And I know that God needs to give me a heart transplant. Because everyone of us here, myself included, we need a heart transplant. We can't try to sit there and fix the heart we have. We need a new heart. And Christ has given us that new heart. And when we go out and we disobey God and do whatever we want to do, we're doing the same thing that other young men did. When we sit there and say, I'm, I don't care about this heart. I'm going to live the way I lived before. And it grieves God because he sees what happened for us to get that new heart and what we do with that. See, we, we need to sit there and go, a heart transplant isn't just fix the heart I have. A heart transplant is get a whole new heart. God has done that for us. He's provided the heart of his son. If we accept that. And we say, God, I know that my heart's messed up. I want to give this to you and, and, and take what you are willing to give me and make me right. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. If you're here and you've never come to that place of having your heart replaced by Christ's heart, I encourage you to think about that and say, God, do you exist? Ask that question. And the Bible tells us that we know deep down inside, we know that's true. We know he's there. And then say, so what does that mean? It means that he, he, he's a God who wants to have a relationship with us, a relationship that was messed up because of our sin. But he wants to restore that and fix that. But we can only do that when we sit there and go, I know I've got to take Christ's heart on. Because of what he did for us on the cross, I can be restored. I pray that we can look at that and say, God, we need to check our heart. And we need to take that light that, that he's given us and obey that. And allow him to bring more light into our life. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much that you do love us. Thank you so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us so that we could have a new heart, Lord, that we could be made right. I pray that you'll just help each one of us to, to check our hearts, Lord, and ask ourselves, are we truly doing what you've called us to do? Lord, I, th I thank you so much for, for not just leaving Israel where they were, but coming back and restoring them and the, and the promise you made to them that you make to us as well. That though the mountains and the hills be shaken, 
your love for us would never be moved. In Jesus' name, amen.